Good evening, Philip. Yes, good evening. Good. Thanks a million for taking the call. Sean here. Sean, nice to meet you. How are you? Great. Now, um, to give you your proper title, it's Captain Philip Smith, but I think you're okay with Philip for the time being. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> Super. So... I'm delighted to hear another human voice, Philip, because this is my first radio show and it's quite an intense sort of a start, so I'm delighted to have you online. No, it's always <laughs> delighted to be part of your first kick-off, your first session. I wish, we, I wish you all the best in your career. It sounds great. Thanks a million, Philip. So I suppose we'll get straight into it. If you could give us a little bit of background on uh, how you got into being a pilot. Well, people come into flying from all different directions. Some people come directly from, say, second-level school or maybe third-level or maybe from other jobs or whatever. Um, I came in from I had a previous career, and um, even when I was in that career, I was always interested in flying, so I was doing it on a part-time basis. And I worked my way up to the ranks, um, starting off with a private pilot's license and then graduating eventually up to a commercial pilot's license and uh, moving on to become your flight instructor. And uh, I flew commercially as well, too. Uh, but my background in aviation is primarily in the, the training side of the business uh, as um, a qualified instructor. And I'm also an examiner for fl- flight tests as well, too. So, uh, and my, one of my main roles in the Atlantic Flight Training Academy in Cork is as a safety manager. So I suppose I'm a bit of a, um, a jack-of-all-trades and hopefully maybe master of one or two. <laughs> yeah. We're all trained to master one anyway. Um, yeah. What were you doing before you got into your full-time career before you got into the aviation in the insurance business a million miles away from from aviation and was it something you always wanted pardon was it something oh absolutely yeah it was it was but you know it's the the difficulty one of the main difficulties with with, with pilot training is the cost it's not cheap to become a commercial pilot and um, if somebody can't afford to go into a full-time course to qualify then they have a perfectly good option of simply working their way up through the ranks and doing it part-time until they eventually get to the level where they can get the uh, become fully qualified commercial pilot. So it, it doesn't make, you know, in some cases, if somebody's on a full-time course, and nowadays most people are, the course duration is about 16 months, sorry, 18, 16 to 18 months, so it's very intense. Yeah. So at the end of it, you, you end up as a fully qualified commercial pilot, and you're able to apply to an airline for a job as a co-pilot. Um, the other route then is modular, which is I did, and that's where you do it, if you like, the scenic route, uh, takes you... <laughs> longer to do it it can take you maybe two years it can maybe take you six years but it doesn't make any difference it's an equally valid license at the end of it so the options are open for various people some people as I said will come directly from second level or third level onto a full time course and other people who maybe have other other jobs in the past and they couldn't afford to make the, the change on the full time course either because of finance or family commitments uh, they do it the other way so they do it in a kind of a stepping stone basis and it takes them longer to get there, but at the end of the day, they're fully qualified. So the airline population out there nowadays is a mix of people who've done done full-time training and who've done it the, the other route. Yes, and I, I'm kind of thinking in terms of a young teenager, like 16, who might be listening in, or he may have expressed interest as a 13, 14-year-old, saying that's all he wants to do is climb the skies. I mean, as a 16-year-old in fifth year, what are the possibilities of you being qualified if you don't come from a financially um, a financially sound home? There's, there's no limits on, on the possibilities because it's, it all comes down to the number one prerequisite is to have an absolute burning ambition mm. to be a, a commercial pilot. That's number one. If you have that, if you're missing the other bits and pieces, the finances, 
you will find a route to get there in the end. It may take you longer, but you will succeed. The main thing um, is, as I said, is to have that absolute burning interest to become a commercial pilot. And if you have that interest, you'll make it your business to uh, make as many inquiries about aviation as possible, learn what the options are, what the possibilities are for getting into training, uh, go and speak to pilots, you know, if you know of anybody or family, friends who may know of people who are pilots, go and visit an airport or a flying club or whatever and, and just see what it is. And the other thing too is you can keep an interest going online by looking at um, YouTube. There's endless numbers of um, videos available on pilot training, free gratitude for nothing that wouldn't have been there 10 or 20 years ago. So the options are there, but if you make, if you have that, if that seed is there, you can actually help that to develop if you just go out there and make inquiries and see what it's all about. The other thing that's very important is, is, is to make sure that somebody has takes at least one try lesson in a small airplane. Because when people come to us and say, I'd love to be a commercial pilot, I'd love to fly Boeing 737s and Airbuses, they have to appreciate the training is done in small aircraft. And it's a different sensation. It can be a lot more noisy. Uh, and you need to know you're going to love that because that's going to become your classroom for the duration of your training. So take even one lesson, you know, we, we have um, in our flight training school in Cork, we're based at Cork Airport, we have 24 aircraft in our fleet, and uh, we do this on a regular basis, apart from the people that we have in full-time training, we're constantly uh, providing lessons for people who come down and pay maybe just for a one-half-hour lesson, just to have the experience being in a small plane to see if they like it. So you just do your homework, do your research, what are the options? I mean, you might find you may be lucky enough to apply to an airline that's offering a cadetship, for instance, Air Lingus do it from time to time, or you might apply to the Air Corps to become a pilot with the, with the Air Corps. So, you know, there, there are options that are there. Now, you know, they don't have that many um, openings uh, regularly, but at the same time, if the, op- op- if, the op- if the opportunity comes in to apply, I'd certainly recommend wholeheartedly people that would, would follow yeah. that up as well. Yeah, it, it's a, to me, it seems like if you want to be, if you want, if, if you set in stone you want to be a pilot you have to you have to use that burning ambition to make enough money to then do it because it's such that's, a it's such an expensive yeah, field exactly that it. you're not going to get so, into it unless you have the finance behind you yes but as I said you know there, there, are, there, 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 there are different ways to cracking that nut because if you can't do it on the full time basis uh, then the option is to do it on the what we call the modular or the self improver basis and you will get there in the end I mean yeah. that's somebody who has that burning ambition they don't regard it as a hardship it's part of the challenge but they'll overcome it and they'll succeed at the end yeah, of the day exactly and I, I reckon so, probably like obviously pilots have a massive responsibility if you can commit to taking on that responsibility from a young age and get getting to where you want to be in the end it shows yeah. that that's the character that you probably want down in after well this is it I mean you know we would have a, a, a significant, significant number of our trainees would be coming in um, directly from second level let's say third level and they would be going on to either training co- full time training courses with us or maybe on one of our mentored programs we have a mentored program um, with Ryanair for instance so we train a lot of cadets who would go on to Ryanair so typically what would happen is they would join us on a training program and at the end of the 18 months they would then join Ryanair and uh, work their way up to the ranks as first officers and captains and the way the business has gone now, the um, the high safety level of airline operations and the high quality and standards that, that apply across the industry, you'd have somebody typically coming out of school at 18 uh, with a leaving cert, uh, coming into us for, say, a year and a half, joining Ryanair as a first officer at, mm. say, 21, and potentially captains by 25 or 26. Mm. The idea you have 
somebody that age um, flying an aircraft with 190 passengers on it, it's some feat. Is that's the way the that's the way that the, the standard training has become. So the options are fantastic. I mean, certainly on the one hand, it, it, there's no denying it, it is it is not cheap mm. to undertake pilot training. But having said that, the career prospects are very good, and the pay rates are very good, and promotion prospects are excellent as well too. So, in a sense, you could regard it as kind of an investment. You put the money up front, and you get the payback then into into your career. Mm. And retirement age for captains is 65, so for anybody coming in at 20 or 30, even <laughs> they've got a long, prosperous career ahead of them as well. Yeah, surely. And how much how much is the course, Philip? The course is the current course is about the basic course is about 78,000 euro. Mm. It's the headline number. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, but yeah. At the same time, if you were to you know, a, a, a commercial pilot's license is akin to a third level of qualification, but instead of going to university for three, four years, you're completing the training unless at half that time. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take somebody then who does go to university, you know, to for college for three, four years, and look at the running costs they incur over the duration of the course, you'll find that it's pretty expensive. And it could be a career choice. They come out of college and they don't even know what direction they're going career-wise with. It could be maybe a broad-spectrum degree they did, and they don't know ultimately where their, their career is going to be. Um, and they don't know how long it's going to take them to get a first job. They don't know what the starting salary is going to be like, and they don't know how long it's going to take them to progress in their careers as well, too. Pilot training is a lot more fast-tracked than that. Promotion prospects and pay rates are very good. So consequently, on the one hand, you're paying a lot of money to get into training, but when you're fully qualified, the payback follows pretty quickly then. Yeah, it's, it's just the initial commitment, I suppose. Um, that's, that's exactly it. Moving on to a slightly separate topic, what's the what's the most common reason for people being turned away at, for health reasons? Oh, that's a medical question. Mm. Um, medical fitness is a very important part of it. Uh, commercial pilots have to have what's called a class one medical. Mm. Um, the initial uh, examination itself is fairly strict, looking at all the, the major parameters, eyes, ears, um, the heart function, uh, lung capacity and all those different aspects as well too um, it's hard to pin down exactly what one would catch them out the, the one that can catch them out that they, it would be a condition they wouldn't know about would be colour blindness oh. um, you know if, if somebody wears glasses that, that's not a game stopper they'll get a commercial pilot's license if, if, if their eye condition is otherwise good and their glasses will correct their range into the normal range of vision that's fine uh, but colour vision is a kind of a gotcha because you can go through life apparently being colour blind. I'm not a medical, but I just know from anecdotal evidence that you can go through colour life, through life being colour blind and not even know it unless it's been tested for your career. So that could be that could be a bit of a game stopper. So, um, but apart from that, it would be something that where maybe somebody has some sort of inherent hearing problem where their hearing wouldn't be up to scratch. So generally, people, young people, enjoy good health and they don't really have a problem with that. The only way to find out if you've got the medical fitness is to simply attend um, the medical centre in Dublin for the class of medical. And that which you may think that you've got a condition that would actually preclude, preclude flying. You could be wrong. They mm. could say to you, well, no, that's fine. It's the condition that's, uh, that's acceptable as far as commercial flying is concerned. So on the one hand, yes, there is a strict requirement. But at the same time, you know, they're, once they're happy that you, you overall, you, overall you enjoy good health, uh, it's fine. The main trick thereafter is to try and keep yourself in good health and don't fall into too many bad habits. Yeah, and then... I suppose the life of a pilot, you're an instructor, so you you don't fly to America or you don't fly to England or wherever. You're based in Cork, is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah. And for the likes of 
I, I was reading up about it, and mental fatigue, it seems to be, is, is a huge, like, cause of, say, fatalities in the air. Is it some? Is it part of the training that you would, like, find yourself becoming more mentally able to fly the aircraft for long periods of time? Is that part of the training? Yeah, there is, because there are very tight restrictions on the number of hours you can fly. Like, a commercial pilot can only fly 900 hours a year or break it down to no more than 100 hours a month. So the, the rules and the regs are pretty strict as it is. Um, I think what's happened, not so much in this part of the world, but in other jurisdictions uh, further afield, is that um, post-pandemic, um, airlines or the airline industry has found there's a huge shortage of pilots. Mm. And they're trying to get pilots on the roster more frequently. And, you know, they're just in some cases inadvertently pilots have overrun their hours and maybe just suffered from, from, from fatigue. Now, it's something that's very unusual in the industry. It wouldn't happen very often because it is tightly regulated. And the other thing, too, is always remember there's always two crew on the flight deck, the two pilots flying the airplane. So that one, that one for one of those reasons, um, there's always a, a, a very uh, close safeguard to make sure the fatigue doesn't kick in to affect the overall flight safety itself. But I think this is just a bit of a blip at the moment because... What happened during the pandemic was that obviously everybody knows the airlines weren't flying, the pilots were laid off, etc. And when the business got up, there was a kind of an expectation that it would take maybe a couple of years before all the airlines would get it back up to full level of service. But what happened, of course, is the demand for flying has just outstripped uh, all expectations. And as a result now, there's been a huge shortage of pilots across the industry. And consequently, you find that the existing pilots and again, it doesn't happen here because we do have fixed space for regulations, but in other jurisdictions where they may not have the same tight oversight, it may, some people may have slipped through the net and there may have been issues like that. But overall, because you have two crew environments, it doesn't really cause a safety problem. So it's very tightly regulated. I mean, in terms of the, the lifestyle of the pilot, if you're short haul, you're flying, say, two, two flights or two sectors a day or maybe four. If you're long haul, you might be just on one flight a day. You might be down route for a few days before you come back again. So... It's, again, it's very heavily regulated, and all the all the good airlines have very strict rosters to make sure that people don't exceed their um, their allowable hours. Okay, and one final question before the break, Philip. Do you remember the moment when you were a young boy or teenager where you were like, "Yep, yeah, this is what I want to do"? Yeah, about uh, ten, age ten, um, and I was able to back in the day as a teenager. When it was maybe safer to do it, I was able to hitchhike around the country and go to visit different airports, and especially Shannon. Shannon was a great location for very kind of exotic airplanes coming in at four o'clock in the morning from Cuba and places like that. And aircraft you wouldn't see in the main airports, and uh, it just fed on from there. I mean, I was what was called a plane spotter. I was one of these people who loves going to the the gates um, of the airport or the, the fence and just watching the aircraft going by and having a big book with all the aircraft registration and taking it all off and say I saw that and that one taking photographs off them talking to pilots things like that and just developing an interest from there and uh, that's what a lot of people do so it doesn't have to be that way a lot of people might it might be kind of a latent development they might sort of say you know at age 18 or even later than that it's something I've always thought about because I think it was attainable and uh, the more they look into it the more they find out yes it's a a possibility for them so yeah it's as we say in the business it must have both bites there's no stopping (laughs) it Well, that's what they say to me in this business too, so I'm hoping to be bitten a few times. <laughs> We're birds of a feather, that's, that's great. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, so I'm delighted to be joined by 
Captain Philip. Would you mind staying on the line for a couple of more questions from a few listeners, Philip? Sound. Thanks a million. And coming up, we'll have a few questions from our listeners for Captain Philip Smith of AFTA down in Cork. Hello again. I am joined by Captain Philip Smith of AFTA Aircrew down in Cork. Please tell me you're still there, Philip. Good stuff, good stuff. So we have a question here, probably one of the most obvious questions. Did you ever find yourself fearing for your life whilst airborne from Michael in Offaly? <laughs> um, no, I can't say I have. Um, everything that we do is, you know, the, the, the training is so intense, it prepares you for, I would say, not all scenarios, but most scenarios. So when you come across something that's out of the ordinary or whatever, there is a process to deal with it. So you certainly have moments that would get your attention looking back. You can say, yeah, that was maybe one of them. Picking up icing on, on the leading edge of the wings, for instance, would be one that comes to my mind. Where was that, Philip? That was in a small aircraft. That was many months ago when I was flying into, into icing conditions that weren't forecast. And uh, planes don't fly very well with a lot of heavy icing on them, like um, icing on a wedding cake. And uh, this is a small aircraft, not a big aircraft, are very mm. well equipped. Um, and a lot of the small aircraft, small aircraft we have now would be well equipped for icing as well, too. But um, it was, was there uh, many on board? Plane. Was there many on board for that flight in particular? No, that's all, no it was a private airplane. There's only four people on board. It was just uh, it was before I embarked on the, the commercial aviation career. It was before that, so I was building up my hours at that stage. You were building uh, up your courage, I'd say. <laughs> no, you never. You, you know, you, you never have any doubts about your ability because it's not because we're naturally born supermen or superwomen or anything like that. It's mm. just because just the training is so intense. Yeah. So it gives you that, that sort of second nature reflex to situations like that. Yeah, next, is there a part of your brain that is when these um, circumstances come into play and they're, they're making it more adverse and the, the flying is harder, is there parts of you that is kind of enjoying this because you've trained to be so highly skilled? You're not enjoying it. You don't go inviting, looking for problems like that. Mm. All that happens is that you react with the training you've been given. So no matter what, this, you know, whether you come across an issue, whether it's you know, I'll give an example that we do a lot of um, a lot of the training you do is flying aircraft with more than one engine, multi-engine flying. But a lot of that training is done with a simulated engine failure. You're flying a one engine, so it's it's there's nothing unusual about that, nothing safe about that. But all it's doing is it's preparing you for what could happen if it happened for real. And the other thing too is that you know the the simulators used nowadays are so um, sophisticated. That they can um, they can simulate or recreate or sorry they can replicate all mm-hmm. kinds of different scenarios that that would barely happen in an airplane. So your 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 training goes above and beyond what can actually happen to you in most cases, unless you come across something unusual like the seven four seven thirty years ago flying out into volcanic ash and all the four engines failed at once. You know who'd have thought? Yeah. They got the engines going again. The aircraft continued safely. So, but for the the bulk of different events and scenarios that can arise, they're all covered in training. Yeah, have you read up? Have have you read up on the airplane crashes? Uh, the, the, the there usually seems to be because on the news, I know we we get this opinion that oh, some this thing failed or the other thing failed, but it's it seems to be a sequence of tiny tiny malfunctions that create the, the crash more so than one thing going wrong. You are spot on. That's exactly what it is. If you ever look at the program, air crash investigation, and look at a read a report, air crash, a report, air crash investigation, 
you will see that when the investigation started, it latched on to one possible cause. Mm. And then as it, prog- as it progressed, it finds two, three, four, ten, fifteen. At the end of it then, they all came together at one time. It's called the Swiss cheese, where all the holes are lined up oh. in perfect alignment at the wrong time. And uh, that's exactly what it is. And uh, you, again, as I said, if you ever read a report or see the programme, you'll see that's exactly what happens with a combination of factors. It was maybe there was a, a small technical malfunction in the aircraft. Maybe there was um, severe weather that wasn't forecast. Uh, crosswinds or whatever it was yeah. and every, or some distractions that threw the whole thing into made it a bit chaotic um, and that's why the training is so intense so it's to help you spot the small things by doing that then it'll help prevent the big things in other words if one accident is caused by 10 contributing factors if you can strip four or five of those out of it you prevent the accident from happening yeah exactly and I suppose that comes back to it's all tied into the fact that the pilot can't be tired. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, when you're in the cockpit, there's there's so many things to check, and most flights are probably similar enough. But it's the alertness to be able to be sharp all the time. Well, they are, yeah. But you, you, in this day and age, the, the equipment is so um, advanced, and the automations are so reliable as well, too. That a lot of the flying is done on autopilot, and the pilot actually is monitoring the systems. Yeah. So that takes a lot of pressure off the pilot. He's not, he or she isn't continuously hand-flying the airplane. They're just simply setting the, air, the, the airplane up, the systems up to do things that they wanted to do in terms of speed and altitude and everything else. And once it's set up, they just simply keep an eye on that and just see what happens. So yeah. it's totally, you know, the, 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 the levels of safety involved in aviation are so tight. Yeah. I, I, this is a corny phrase now, but as they <laughs> say, the most dangerous part of flying is the drive to the airport. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard that one now. I still wouldn't like to get in an aircraft with someone who doesn't know how to fly it, though. Well, this is it, but that's why the, the training is so intense. Yeah. You know, the experience level, like captains go through thousands of hours of, of, of flying before they're promoted, and the, the training is so intense for the, the airlines, and, you know, so particularly with the airline that we're partnered with, Ryanair, their safety record's impeccable. You know, for an airline that's so big and it's, you know, pan-European and so many flights every day it's just a, it's a fantastic operation and we just uh, we like to think we're a mirror of what they do as well too yes. and the other stress is we, everyone talks about the pilots and he, he does this and she does and he does that but you know a, a lot of girls don't sort of realise that it's, a, it's an equal opportunity employer yeah. and they often think that maybe it's not something for them that it's male dominate which it is but for no good reason there's no good reason why that because the, the girls make equally good pilots and boys yeah of course and um, a sort of serious question here from Philip in the carol can you hear when the people on the flight clap and if so would you prefer they clapped or not um, yeah you can but it's, it's yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's fine it's a kind of a, it's a bit of an endorsement isn't it yeah thank you very much it, it depends I mean it's it's something that's developed. I think it's that the, the traveling public has kind of developed doing that just by habit more than anything else. And um, it's, I suppose, from the cruise viewpoint, it, it's nice to know that the passengers appreciated the the comfortable flight they've had and it's on time or early or whatever it is. Yeah. So you you would be a fan of of a of a clap at the end of the flight? Oh, absolutely. It's not a distraction. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Super. <laughs> And another question here from Mary, six-year-old texter. Is there such thing as a double-decker bus? And if so, is it possible to get the front seat on top? A double-decker airplane, I think. A double-decker plane, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah, 
Yeah, the A380, the, the massive jumbo, is um, the Airbus A380 has double deck on it, um, and that's that's the preserve for first class passengers. Basically, oh. but that'll put me over the equation. So most of the travelling economy. Yeah. Yeah, and a final question: What is what is the most challenging weather conditions for the pilot? They would usually be if they're flying on route, uh, thunderstorms, um, avoiding them. Um, airplanes don't like flying in thunderstorms, but that's easy resolved because all the aircraft are equipped with um, with weather radar, so they can see exactly where the thunderstorms are located and they can work their way around them. So if you found yourself in a thunderstorm for some reason, it wouldn't be that pleasant. Uh, but as I said, the, the equipment on board helps to prevent going near them in the first place. Um, apart from that, the automation is so good. I mean, years ago, aircraft, you'd often hear about multiple diversions, aircraft couldn't land because of low clouds and fog and all the rest of it but that's, those days are very much in the past now because the equipment on board the aircraft um, gives them a lot more accuracy when they're coming into land I mean landing is probably the most challenging phase of the flight itself but it's, um, it, the challenges were there previously with, with low clouds and fog, they've been eliminated now because of the equipment on board so it's, across the board it's, it's a very safe uh, occupation Cool, and so this is after. So when are you taking on next June? If there's someone listening in, um, and they want to get in touch, what is a typical? Yeah, yeah, we we have about five intakes a year. So our next one will be next month, and um, we've taken whatever the group is, they ten, twelve, or whatever, and we run those courses right through the year. Uh, but I think, as I said at the outset, the important thing for somebody is to if they're considering his career choice is to do their research. We have an open invitation and after Cork Airport for anybody interested um, to come down and visit us. And, you know, it's all very well to look at a flying school and see what their website is like, but you have to get in behind that and just see exactly what the facilities like, what the personnel like. You get a feel-good factor about the about the place as well, too. Just give us a call. It's um, Look us up on, on the, the internet or, and uh, just give us a shout and give us a call on uh, 021-488-737 and we'd be glad to meet you here give the, the, the tour of the facilities uh, no commitments and uh, all we want to do is add to your, 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 your knowledge bank and answer as many questions as we can and then if you're interested then have a try lesson with us as well too but uh, by all means come on down yeah. we'd be delighted to give anybody uh, we, it, we do think it's very important we really, we, we're really we not looking at what's happening next year we're looking at the future generations of pilots over the next 15-20 years as well yeah super and for anyone listening that's Atlantic Flight Training Programme there and you can look them up and get all the contact details online so Captain Philip Smith it's been a pleasure talking to you you will always go down in my memory as my first ever guest on live radio so I thank you for that that's great and I think you've been a great host as well too and I think you've been terrific and I, I wish you all the best thanks all the best Philip thanks a million if for taking the call up in and see it. I will to be sure Okay, Sean. Thanks, Philip. All the best. All the best. Okay. Bye-bye.